that one for us and she did an awesome job and she finished us with the challenge of Philippians 4.13 in that we can do all things through Christ that gives us strength. Um, today we're going to unpack the athlete, um, but before we do, if you missed last week's sermon or any other sermon for that matter, you can go on to soundcloud.com, type in Refresh Church, you can download it from there, or you can just subscribe in the iTunes bar on iTunes and um, you can get our sermons from there as well. So any series that we've done in the past, if we've remembered to hit record, um, they'll be on there. Um, yeah, Neil just asked me to pass that on. Um, so today and the rest of this series, we're actually looking at a section of scripture, which is Second Timothy. And um, as Mitch said this morning, everyone's got this flu thing. So um, I've actually forgotten to bring my water bottle up. So uh, um, I'll go grab that. Richo, can you just play that video clip for me and I'll um, pretend I'm getting my water bottle like this is planned. Where's my identity? Is it in an NBA player or is it in Christ? And um, that's, that's kind of when I had to really uh, have a gut check and that's when God really humbled me. At the end of the day, I have to remember you know, my calling and my you know, my purpose on this earth is to glorify God and what I do and right now that calling is to play basketball. And so, um, you know, for me to be able to remember I have to play, you know, for an audience of one, for God, that was liberating for me to be able to kind of lift that burden off of me and for me to remember why I'm playing. And so once I was able to do that, that's when, you know, things got a lot easier and, you know, I do have God in my number one priority. That's my number one goal. You bless me this opportunity. Can you believe this is happening to you? No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I believe in an in, uh, all-powerful and all-knowing God who uh, does miracles. Uh, I think it's a miracle from God, um, the way I would describe it. Uh, I would say it's a miracle just because anytime something like this happens, there's a lot more... Uh, a lot of stuff has to be put into place, and a lot of it is out of my control. Um, and if you look back at my story, it doesn't matter where you look, but you know God's fingerprints are all over the place. Where there's been a lot of things that had to happen that you know I just kept, couldn't control. And you could try to call it coincidence, but at the end of the day, there's 20, 30 things when you combine them all that have to happen at the right time in order for me to be here. So that's why I call it here. Uh, I think the, the important thing for me is, uh, is where faith comes in and to understand that um, you know, just because I had a couple good games, it doesn't change. Um, it can't change who I am. I mean, my identity is in Christ and not in basketball. And, um, I love playing basketball and it's my job, uh, but you know, at the same time, I still recognize you know, I'm a sinner and, and that's not going to change regardless of how well I play on the court. Uh, to be honest, the last year and a half, up until three days ago, it was pretty rough for me just uh, struggling to find a spot in this league. And, um, yeah, I'm just very thankful uh, to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, for just giving me this opportunity. I mean, I can't tell you how many different things had to happen for me to be here. And um, I'm just overwhelmed right now. I'm just trying to take it all in. But I'm just thankful uh, to this, this team, like I said, and the fans here. They're awesome. And so uh, and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to keep this thing going. All right, I had to get my exercise clothes on. I've always wanted to preach a sermon in short shorts. It's a little... Anyway, 
Ever since that I found out that I was doing this athlete thing, I've been stoked because I love sport. I love sport. Sport and me are like friends. Probably even deeper than that. And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to need to come up with all these cool sporting illustrations and stuff like that. And just so happens that on year 11 camp, I was provided with one. I was skiing down the hill and um, ski entered into a hole and leg busted up, went up around my um, thing like that. And I sat on my knee and um, it's been sore ever since. And um, I thought I could use that as an illustration. And I thought, nah, it's too recent. It cuts deep. But... Um, so that's why I'm limping around. I've had heaps of people ask me, why are you limping around? That's why. Um, but all good, I went to the doctor and he's given it the all clear kind of. And, um, but when I was first got told, Simo, we want you to do athlete, I thought, beauty. And um, the reason why was I've grown up with sport and Aussies are renowned for this. They love sport. They love getting in and having a crack. The story of the underdog in sport is fantastic. And I want to take you on a little journey back to my cul-de-sac that I've grown up in, and it has been the source of many stories here at Refresh. So, Richo, I think I've got a screenshot of my little cul-de-sac. There we go. The little red triangle is my house that I grew up in. Um, the one on the left was the Johnsons, and the one on the right was the Purvies. And um, there were no boundary fences apart from the backyards in those days. So. New people have moved into the house on the right and new people have moved into the house on the left and they put fences up. We must be terrible neighbours. And um, so, as I said, the front yards never used to be fenced off. And um, we used to have the cricket field, we used to have the football field and we used to have the AFL field. Football field as well, but I had to distinguish. And so, um, the cricket field, let me point it out to you for those that can see the back screen. The cricket field started at our driveway and the stumps were at the end of the Purvey's um, yard and we would bowl from the bowling crease which is on the edge of the, their driveway there which equals 20.83 metres which is a cricket pitch. We used to mow the cricket pitch down and um, everything on the Purvey's yard and then um, when we had to play away games we would actually spin it and so the, our house was the away house. And so we'd mow our lawn down as well. Um, the trees were a lot smaller back then. They seemed to be stunted when we were growing up for some reason. I can't work out why. Um, when it came to football, um, the Purvies had ANZ, well, it used to be ANZ Stadium, now CUSAC, um, over um, near Malcravat there. And um, we had Parramatta Stadium. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I see, I see how that's going. All right, and um, so we'd, we'd trade off. So we'd play on their grass one day and we'd play on, um, I think our parents worked this out so the lawns wouldn't get destroyed. And um, we'd play on ours another week. And then it came to AFL. We only played this a few times because I think we ran too far. But, or it could have been that we had to run across concrete. Um, AFL actually took up the whole three houses um, so one team was kicking towards the Purvey's house and the other team was kicking towards the Johnson's house and our house was the centre square. And, um, yeah, as I said, I think it's because we ran across concrete because um, mum was constantly, because they were the nurses of the street, mum and dad are both nurses, and um, mum and dad were constantly patching people up from going over on getting tackled 
on the, on the driveways. So we did start a rule that you could only one, two, three grab um, on the driveways, but that always never happened. Um, so yeah, growing up, sport. And, and it didn't stop there because the competition moved on to even in everyday life. You see, my older brother and I were very competitive and we'd race to see who would eat meals first. Mum would serve up the spaghetti and um, one, two, three, go. Off you go, try and slurp it up. There's spaghetti flying everywhere. Um, there's a nice painting on the, on the dining room wall where sauce could not get rubbed off. And um, so that was that. And we'd also uh, run to the front of the car to try and get the front seat. Siblings know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And um, there was often some injuries involved with that as well. Um, just sort of hip and shoulder as your brother gets close to the thing and push him into the pole, and that way he gets injured, and that way you're guaranteed the front seat. Until he busts a leg or something like that, then he gets the front seat. I don't see how that works. I beat him fair and square. But we're going we're gonna to look at this Second Timothy stuff in the light of an athlete. So let's, let's get into it. Let's get into Scripture. Let's go. Second Timothy 2, and uh, chapter, Second uh, Timothy 2, verse 1 to 7. Let's have a look. You then, my son. It starts off a bit funny. The Bible always does that. You then, my son. This is actually Paul talking to Timothy. Now, let me give you a bit of context of that relationship. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Paul had seen something significant happening in Timothy, and Timothy was growing up to be a pastor, pretty much. And, and Paul had seen this, and so Paul had decided to mentor Timothy. And who's Paul, some of you may be asking. Paul is that guy that when they make maps in the back of the Bible, you see all these red lines going everywhere. Paul travelled around everywhere, preaching the Word of God, and setting up churches around the place, and the churches in that area would always write to Paul, and Paul would write back, and he, therefore we have the letters of the New Testament, and Paul has written most of them in the New Testament. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and it says, You then, my son, so he's not his legitimate son, he is his son in Christ. So you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, started solid. That is a great way to start a text. Let's keep going. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who, you, who will also be qualified to teach others. So spread the word and keep spreading it. Let's keep going. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We'll pause there for a second. Let me just give you a bit of context on that one. He's saying that a soldier in those times, a soldier in those times doesn't worry about what, um, what to buy from the marketplace or whatever else. A soldier in those times did what he was told, and that was it. And so here we go. No one serving a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. He didn't go to the shops, get his peas and corn and all that kind of stuff to make himself a good meal or whatever else. He would always entrust that to the thing that he was enlisted to. And so here he's saying, be enlisted to Christ. Let's keep going. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. That's what we're going to focus on today, so I won't unpack it too much. Let's go to the next one. 
The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. This text is where we've actually come up with the series of Soldier, Athlete, Farmer. And, and the reason why we've done it is so that someone might get something out of the soldier story, or someone might get something out of athlete story, someone might get something out of the farmer story, because they all relate to you differently. And so we're effectively saying very similar things, but we're just delivering it in a, in a different way. It's a model that Jesus gave us. It's pretty cool. So we're going to pull this athlete thing apart. And um, as I research for this presentation, I thought to myself, what does an athlete do? What does an athlete need for them to be successful? So I came up with five things. And there's many more, but these five things I thought were pretty good. So we'll go with number one, please, Richo. Athletes know that there are no shortcuts. You can't just rock up. We just rock up to indoor cricket on a, on a Tuesday night and it shows because we're terrible. But an athlete who is serious about their sport, who is serious about what they're doing, won't just rock up. An athlete will put in the work, put in the hours, and, and that shows when it comes to game time. They put in effort. And then someone, um, when I was researching this, someone mentioned something about performance-enhancing drugs. Gets you there quicker and you can be the best you can be. Nah. We all know how that turns out. Lance Armstrong. Um, I can't remember her name now. There's an American lady, a sprinter. Mar um, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Marion Jones, thank you. Same sort of deal. The shortcuts aren't worth taking if you want to be at the absolute top of your game. Because as soon as that comes out, it all gets ripped from you. It's kind of like a Pop-Tart. Pause for effect. It's kind of like a Pop-Tart. And everyone's going, what is he talking about? Well... You can uh, get yourself a nice breakfast, full spread. You can have the hash browns, you can have the eggs, you can have tomatoes, you can have beans, you have mushrooms, you have a bit of spinach on there. Or for some reason they serve some green leafy kale thing the other day when we had a breakfast down in Canberra. And um, you can have all that. And then you sit a Pop-Tart next to it and the Pop-Tart all of a sudden doesn't look that inviting, does it? But did you know that you can microwave a Pop-Tart for three seconds and then eat it and that's recommended. It can be ready in three seconds. Three seconds. To me, a performing enhancing drug and all that kind of stuff is like that Pop-Tart. 11 seconds in the toaster, three seconds in the microwave. Or the training for the event is like the full spread breakfast, which I'd prefer any day. Give me a plate of mushrooms and I'll devour them. I love mushrooms. Second thing is training is better than trying. Training is better than trying. Now, as I said, we rock up to cricket on a, on a Tuesday night and we're, you know, we're all right, sort of, sometimes. If, if someone professional walked in, they go, nah, don't even try. But, but we're all right because we've, we, we've got this natural ability. 
And there's a clip that I want to show in a minute that um, has someone with a natural ability, and they would have been scouted when they were young. And then they would have had to put hours and hours and hours and hours into this for this one event. We'll play that first clip, Richo, not the second one. Adesso invece è il primo degli umani. Tanto vediamo lo scalzo. Ah, mamma mia! <laughs> no, questa poi no. Pazzesco. Zoppica un po', è stato investito dalla camera. Oh, that's how I got the segue into Usain Bolt. Get it? Segway, Usain Bolt. Oh. Anyway, all right, so here it goes again, just in case you missed it. That guy's legs are actually insured for some ridiculous amount of money. But this is the clip I wanted to show you, really. Let's get it up and running that next one, please, Richo. There is the full lineup. Every single one of the men in this lineup has run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. Bolt, Gay, Powell, four, five, and six. They're away. Terrific start by Daniel Bailey. Usain Bolt, though, getting into his running. Here he comes. Usain Bolt, challenged by Tyson Gay. Usain Bolt, two clear meters. Tyson Gay in second place. And in third place is Safa Powell. 9.58! Smashing the world record. Unbelievable! He's done it again! A year later, rewriting the world record again! Let's look at Gay. Gay uh, both got a good start, not quite as quick as some of the others in the race, but Steve, once he gets into his running, we've never seen the like. No, you cannot understand what is going through the rest of the minds of the other sprinters. Tyson Gay is running a time that is absolutely sensational, and he's been dismissed, literally dismissed. He's still looking around at this speed as well. There may be even more in the tank for this man if he really pulls all the stops. Look at him. Where's Tyson, he's thinking, where is he? Well, he's a long way back, Usain. He is a long, long way back. Well, Usain was looking at the clock there. He didn't look at it first in Beijing. He is this time. Usain Bolt, 9.58 seconds. That's fast. And he doesn't even look like he's trying. It's amazing. Like, it, I love watching that clip. I love watching the one beforehand too, but <laughs> that last one. But that 9.58 seconds didn't just happen. Like, he would have had natural talent, but that 9.58 seconds would have come down to training. He would have spent hours and hours and hours as a young boy just doing laps. And there would have been older folks that were bigger than him that were um, beating him, and he would have felt discouraged. But he kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And now he's running 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Crazy. Crazy. So, an athlete knows that training is greater than trying. Now to throw some spiritual stuff onto the top of this one is, is that we can do the same thing. We can turn up and we can try our hardest when the lights are on. Just like in that video clip at the very start. We can try our hardest, hardest when the lights are on, on, but when we get home, when we get into the dark room, when we get by ourselves, what are we doing to train? What are we doing to put in the yards so that when this spiritual stuff starts to happen, we can be on top of it. Our relationship with God is built so much that it doesn't matter where we are, we have trained enough in the off-season that we're going to play hard during game on. Training is greater than trying. And as I wrote these things, I thought about it in my life. 
And I thought to myself, yeah, no, that's right. I play a good game when I come to church and all that kind of stuff, but where I lack during the week, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy, I can't fit the training in. I, I, I try to spend time in the Bible. I try to talk about spiritual stuff with the students and people I come in contact with. When I'm at the shops, I try and be that friendly person. But when I haven't put the training in myself, it just doesn't come out. It just doesn't come out at all. Let's go to number three. Athletes know that team is greater than me. See, that clip that I just showed you of Usain Bolt running the 9.58 seconds and all that kind of stuff, it is an individual sport, but guaranteed, guaranteed, there is a team behind him. Guaranteed, he's, he's got a coach that has been telling him that you need to use your fast twitch, whatever, and then, and then eat this, eat your kale, or whatever it's called. Eat and then, and then train, you need to run four laps of that and I need you to swim this and I need you to do high knees for 800 metres and do this and do that. Plus he's got medical staff, he's got PR teams, he's got everyone else that's around him. You can't tell me that it's an individual sport when he's got that many people behind him. Yeah, it comes down to one person but he's got a team surrounding him. And sometimes... Sometimes um, when we were training, I used to play cricket when I was in high school and we got all right. And um, when we were training, our coach would say to us, and this is the best thing that this guy's ever said because I've remembered it. He said that a team is like a hand. And the person on that team, you, you're the pinky. And your pinky by itself is one of the weakest fingers. Your ring finger is actually the weakest. But you might be all right, so you're the pinky. You've got a bit more strength than the ring finger. But to do anything by yourself with that little pinky, to lift the chair, say, you're actually using your arm a bit, but to lift that chair, you can't do it for very much. Throw in the rest of your fingers, and it doesn't give you a hand, it actually gives you a fist. And that fist is very forceful. I think we liked it because we were a bunch of blokes, 13-year-old, and we were like, forceful. But he's right. But he's right. The little pinky by itself can't do much. Give it a fist, you can do a whole heap. And <clears throat> I thought, how can I, how can I portray this in a spiritual sense? And it got me thinking, and I thought, well, this is it. What we're doing this morning is it. If, if we're out by ourselves, the training and all that kind of stuff becomes hard. But when we're together as a group, we become the fist. We become very forceful. And, and the accountability stuff sets in and all of that kind of bizzo. But when we're a group, you've all got your social groups, you've all got um, mentors, you've all got other people around you that help you through your life. And it's the same spiritually. If you surround yourself with your group, then you will be a fist. And then the training goes on. And everything else starts to fall in place for game day. A group of people. A group of people. And that's why things like refresh and, and small groups and, and all of those sort of things really improve the healthiness of a church. A group of people studying their lives and doing life together. 
Let's go on to number four. Athletes know the rules. The illustration I'm going to use for this one is um, a, cr a cricket one, funny enough. Um, the Aussies were over somewhere, and um, Steve Waugh um, was captain at the time, so that's going back a few years. And um, there was a, I'm pretty sure it was India, I could be wrong, but let's just say it is India. There was an Indian batsman batting, and um, he was facing up, and um, he, he stepped forward and didn't offer a shot. That was the wrong thing to do. He stepped forward and didn't offer a shot. And um, the ball actually got stuck in his pad. So these little leg pad, there's a little flap, and it got stuck behind it. And the batsman, without thinking, reached down and picked up the ball. And it just so happened that Steve Waugh said, how's that? And the umpire gave it out. See, in cricket, you can't handle the ball unless the ball is dead. Now, um, they reviewed it and all this kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure he was out. I can't remember the actual result. But the fact that Steve Waugh knew the rules, that you can't handle the ball unless the ball is considered dead, he knew his sport inside and out. He knew his sport inside and out. And there's countless um, examples of this, particularly in team sports, where, where people will exploit almost the rules because they know them so well. Even in social games, people try and exploit the rules because they know them. And it's the same in our life, in our spiritual life. How much of the rules do you know? How much of the rules do you know? And it's coming back to that training, and I'm starting to harp onto it a bit. But how much of this do you know? And you'll get people going up there, well, that's just a book of rules. How am I supposed to do that? That's just a book of rules. Am I, am I meant to follow in each and every one? And my statement to students that ask that same question is, no, you're not. But once you have the news that is in there, you want to. You want it. You want to make it a part of your life. You want it to change who you are. You want it to be your every essence. You want it to be natural. You want it to be exactly what you want it to be on game day. Exactly what you want it to be on game day. All right, I'm running out of time. Let's go to number five. Athletes know the end goal. Athletes know the end goal. This is the big one. This is the big one. An athlete knows what they want to do to reach that prize. They know what they have to do to reach that prize. They know they want the prize, and they know what they have to do to get to it. And that's what they're training for. This is what they're going on. And this is where we have an advantage as Christians. This is where we have an advantage because we already know what the end prize is going to be. Because we've already got it. Because we've already got it. We've experienced Jesus. We've taken him into our lives. And we've already got the prize. We're not running for victory. We've already got victory. So we're running from victory. From that point on, we're running from it. And once we're, we're running from it, it actually becomes harder sometimes. It actually becomes harder because we still get distracted from what's deflecting. But the good athletes, going back to the running for the prize, the good athletes that run for the prize are not distracted by what's happening around them. Now back on that Usain Bolt clip, 
Um, you saw him doing his little victory, whatever he does. Did you see the big camera guy running beside him? He was running flat out. And, and Usain Bolt's just walking. And um, Usain Bolt was not distracted by what was going on around him. He, he was at the blocks, zoned out. He was doing his first few push paces, zoned out. He was running as fast as he could, zoned out. It wasn't until that last 10 metres that he knew he had it wrapped up that he started looking around. He, was, he wasn't distracted by what's going on. And in our race, yeah, we've already got the, the, the victory and yeah, we're running from that victory to try and tell everyone else because of the training we've done, we've had something change in our lives and, and we want to share that with, <laughs> excuse me, with everyone else. And as we're running along, we can still get distracted by our phone beeping or email that's come in or that website or, or something else that is happening in, and getting distracted by others in our lives or, hey, come and do this, come and do that. And sometimes we've just got to say no because we've got to stay running from that victory. We have to stay running from that victory because we've been training for this and we're training to continue to run from that victory. The very start of this year, we did a series called Seven Days That Changed the World. It was creation one. And we talked about being the image of God and what we were created for. And, and we were created. We were created to reflect him. We were created, created to reflect his glory. And when you think of that, when you think of that, there is no athlete in history that has that talent starting off. We have it instilled in us that we are to reflect God's glory. And all we have to do is put in the time, the effort, the training. All we have to do is is don't look for shortcuts. Know the rules. All of that kind of stuff. Don't run from victory. Don't run for victory, sorry. Run from it. That's it. That's it. Let it empower you that the victory has already been won. The hard work's already been done. We've got a little bit to go and we need to train for it. Let it launch you into your race and begin with the end in mind. Begin with the fixation on Jesus in mind that he has already won the race for us. Let's tell other people about it. Let's pray. Father God, um, I'd just like to thank you for all that you do for us day by day. We're a room full of talented people and we've all got different talents in different areas. And Lord, I just pray that you will use those talents to better serve you. And I pray for those that are, that are ill, um, there's some sort of bug going around, and Lord, we just um, pray that you will bless all those that are crook. Help them to use it to draw closer to you, maybe. Lord, help us in our personal training. When the, when the lights are off and we're all by ourselves, how we live and all that, Lord, we just ask you to take that and make it yours as well. Lord, I thank you for each every head bowed in this, uh, in this room. 
and all the kids' ministries, divisions as well. Bless them today too. Lord, we love you. Can't wait to see you in your name. Amen. Um, that's it. Um, tonight we've got the social on. Big camp's coming up. We've got that shoe that grows, the evolutionary shoe. Um, all sorts happening. So have a happy Sabbath, and um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>